0: File
1: on welcome to The Leadership File, the show that helps you lead wherever you are. I'm Andy Peck. I Welcome to The Leadership File, Professor Julia Downing. Julia has given much of her working life to the study of palliative care. Her PhD evaluated palliative care training in rural Uganda where she has worked for some 17 years. She's an honorary professor of Makareri University, Kampala, and the chief executive of International Children's Palliative Care Network, IPCN. And she's also worked on a EU-funded project to develop palliative care in Serbia. Now, palliative care is defined as the active total care of patients whose disease is not responsive to curative treatment. Control of pain, of other symptoms and of psychological, social and spiritual problems is paramount. So, uh, Julia, my first question, I guess, is how did you get involved in this particular field?
0: Well, when I was doing my training as a nurse in Cardiff, um, I was working on a ward where uh, there was a 20-bedded ward and then there were two side rooms. And uh, I noticed that when one of the ladies was very sick and dying, they moved her to the side room. And then... People were a bit reluctant to go in. It felt as if um, there was this nervousness about going in. People didn't know how to care for, for her. And that really um, made me interested in palliative care. And we had an opportunity to do an elective, and I went to work at St Christopher's Hospice, um, worked with um, Dame Cicely Saunders and her team there, and really uh, got a passion, really, for palliative care. I wanted to be able to make a difference to the lives of individuals and their families
1: at that difficult time. Sure. And, and and why uh, Uganda? You've mentioned you've spent some seventeen years in Uganda particularly.
0: Yes, well I also um, during my training undertook another elective in Zambia and kind of fell in love with Africa mm. and thought maybe one day I'd go back um, and then I was working um, as a lecturer and I was just looking through the nursing journals to get some information for my next session I was teaching and I turned the page and this job in Uganda jumped out at me and about a half an hour later my friend from church rang me and said I've just seen a name, uh, I've just seen a job with your name on and it was the same job wow. so it just kind of like <laughs> (laughs) came to me
1: sure it's it's helpful when that kind of level of guidance takes place isn't it yeah yeah. um um and do you have a particular interest in palliative care amongst children as well
0: yes um when i went to first went to Uganda I was uh, surprised at the number of children needing palliative care Um, and I found that quite difficult. Um, I had cared for some children in the UK who were dying but I hadn't seen quite so many, um, mainly because of the HIV issues and so I really began to develop my interest in children's palliative care whilst in Uganda and um, children's palliative care in many parts of the world is neglected Um, if you look at the map of the world plotting where there is access to children's palliative care, there's many countries where there is no access to palliative yeah. care for children. So you've got children dying in pain and suffering unnecessarily. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So
0: I've really got a passion to uh, support children and their families.
1: Hmm. Now, I'd, I'd heard a little bit about Uganda over the years and, and understood it was a bit more stable and the economy had been a little bit more encouraging than some other African nations. But but nevertheless, it is, it is still a very poor uh, nation. And I'm just wondering you know you've you've worked at palliative care in Uganda, how typical is is the work there compared to other parts of the wo- of, of africa particularly
0: um uganda is doing very well um we've actually celebrating 25 years this year of having palliative care in uganda yeah. um but still we're not reaching everybody um we're lucky that we have some very good palliative care services um we have hospice africa uganda Malme uganda um and uh, a broad range of palliative care programs across the country mm. um and the ministry of health are committed um we've developed developed a policy for palliative care, which is just going through the government. So we have government commitment, but still it's patchy. Uh, there are people across the country who can't access palliative care. There are people who can't access um, medications they need, in um, particular um, analgesics. Um, so in terms of other countries across uh, sub-Saharan Africa, Uganda is doing really well. Um, and uh, the um, diploma and degree course that is run in Uganda uh, caters for people from across sub-Saharan Africa. So we're trying to help um, develop palliative in other countries as well.
1: Um, And presumably the locals... You know, uh, very very aware of the need.
0: Yes, um, very aware of the need, and um, you know, because of the great um, HIV issues, and because of uh, a lack of access to uh, treatments such as radiotherapy or chemotherapy, it's it is there, but it's limited. Um, So most people will have um, cared for somebody in their Mm -hmm. family who has been dying and who's needed palliative care. Um, So we're able to um, work with individuals to support them in that, but also then to support them to develop mm. their palliative care skills sure. and provide services.
1: Yeah. yeah. Now, um, obviously, what you're doing is a, is a very compassionate work. Um, you know, you need the, the, the gifts of mercy and encouragement and helps and all sorts, I'm sure, to, to do to do the work. I mean, some Christians, of course, believe that God can intervene Uh maybe feel quite conflicted in this world because your palliative care obviously is presuming that someone is going to pass away and and there's that hope you know I've, I've known christians really struggle because they've you know till the end they've been praying for god to intervene and actually it's been very hard for the person who's been suffering and dying any thoughts around that whole area obviously you you know
0: <laughs> yeah i mean that, that's a b- a big issue um i obviously very much believe that God can intervene and mm. can heal, and I've seen him healing. Um, but at the same time, um, when we look at uh, Jesus, he showed his compassion to mm. the sick and to all in need. And when you think of... Um, the passage in Ecclesiastes it says there's a time for everything and a season for every activity under the heavens a time to be born and a time to die mm. and uh, whilst God does and can intervene mm. um, the one thing that we are all sure of is at some stage we're going to die mm. and so through trying to um, help develop palliative care services mm. we can be extending that love and that passion and compassion to others mm. um, you know it also said in Matthew about um, truly I tell you whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Um, I was sick and in prison um, and you look after me or you didn't look after me. And um, so I really feel that God's called me to
1: um,
0: provide palliative care, but more importantly, to help others to develop palliative care services mm. so that each person who needs that service can access it.
1: Yeah. And obviously, famously, Mother Teresa would be someone who many would have heard of, who, yeah. whose ministry was partly in this area.
0: Yeah, and um, Dame Cisley Saunders from St. Christopher's, yeah. um, and it was her strong Christian belief that kind mm-hmm. of led her to begin to develop palliative care services. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, so uh, perhaps you could give us some idea of the, the kind of scope of the need. Um, I mean, I did a little bit of research, I understand it's believed that some 21 million children require palliative care, which was a a staggering number, but only 5% have access.
0: Yeah, it is a staggering number. And uh, it's a study that we did as the International Children's Mm -hmm. Palliative Care Network uh, looking at the global need um, with 21.6 million children needing access to some form of palliative care and around 8 million needing more specialist um, care. So there is a big need. And uh, we looked in different countries. So, for example, in um, Kenya, uh, South Africa, and Zimbabwe, um, where in zimbabwe and south africa less than five percent of the children needing palliative care had access and in kenya it was less than one percent right. um the estimate globally is that only around 10 percent of children needing access to palliative care are receiving it so it is a big mm. challenge well, well. um and that means that there are uh, so many children who are suffering unnecessarily uh, so we need to do something about it. We need yeah. to be providing um, appropriate, compassionate palliative care. And now, as well, there's the whole added issue around palliative care within um, humanitarian situations, yeah. uh, within the um, refugee crisis, um, within situations in Gaza, etc. So it's a big need, um, yeah. and we're trying hard to try and develop services so some of that need can be met. Uh,
1: presumably we're talking... Largely developing world. Are there surprising countries where you've been aware of?
0: Yes. I mean, you would think it was um, in low and middle income Mm. countries and about 98% of the children needing palliative care are in low middle income countries. But um, at the same time, I've been in very high resource countries Mm. um, where because they've had resources, they've um, kept children alive. Um, There was one particular child who'd been kept alive on a ventilator uh, for a year, uh, was uh, uh, in a coma, was never going to recover. But the family had money and they wanted to pay to keep the child alive. So uh, you've got this balance then. Mm. Um, Was that good palliative care? Probably not.
1: Sure, sure. But it
0: was in a high resource setting. Yeah, um, really. So it's not just about low resource settings, although the biggest need is in the low resource settings. Yeah,
1: yeah. Well, we're, co- we're coming to a break uh, in a minute, but um, just, just, just just maybe you could start the answer to this, maybe uh, be a longer answer. Uh, I mean, there's clearly it needs to be an education program required to overcome some of the misunderstandings regarding palliative care in some rural areas in Africa, because uh, obviously some folk you know, you go to hospital, you don't come back, so it's a dangerous place to go, is in some people's minds.
0: Yeah. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of um, challenges for us in terms of palliative care. Um, and there's a need for education at various levels. So um, at the government level, um, oh. I was talking to one minister of health, and he said, we don't need palliative care for children. Our children don't die. And we then did a quick study and were able to demonstrate that they did need palliative care for children so education at the government level but also education right at the community level Mm. Um, as you say um, the Trying to allay some of the fears um, around Mm. palliative care, some of the fears around using strong analgesics such as morphine. Mm. um, That's a big issue for us, uh, not just in terms of um, the community, but also in terms of some healthcare professionals. So teaching nurses and doctors how to safely provide palliative care and how to safely use uh, medications um, and trying to get access to those medications. Mm. So,
1: I guess yeah. I mean, obviously, doctors looking for health, but obviously they may not be so aware. Of the end of life, if it's needed to be, um, you know, administered medica- medically.
0: Yes, and uh, you know, we we have to get the balance—not medicalising death, mm. um, but also at the same time making sure that people can access what is what is needed. Um, and you know, in in many countries, we put in a lot of money in terms of bringing people into the world with the mm. obstetrics and midwifery, etc. Um, and sometimes the the other end is mm. is not does not have such attention. So a lot of education is needed um, trying to get education into the universities so that all the mm. new doctors will have some palliative care experience
1: you're listening to leadership file with me andy peck i'm joined this week by julia downing uh, julia is uh, particularly expertise is in palliative care and we'll be back just after this welcome back to the leadership file with me andy peck i'm joined this week by professor julia downing uh, Julia's uh, specialism is particularly palliative care. She's the uh, honorary professor of uh, Makari uh, University in Kampala, uh, chief executive of International Children's Palliative Care Network. Uh, and has also worked on the EU-funded project to develop palliative care in uh, Serbia. Uh, We were talking before the break a little of uh, the big challenges of providing palliative care, how many children, particularly some 21 million worldwide, are in need of palliative care. And just to remind you that palliative care is the... Is defined as the active total care of patients whose disease is not responsive uh, to curative uh, uh, treatment. So we talked about the education uh, needs, uh, Julia. It's it said that the job of the leader is to define reality, <laughs> and your work is helping provide us a definition in this whole field. So, what are your priorities moving forward?
0: Priorities moving forward are. Um quite big <laughs> because there's still so much work to be done. Um, trying to get uh, international uh, recognition um, for the need for children's palliative care. We've been working with the World Health Organization um, and with the uh, World Health Assembly trying to ensure that palliative care is included as a core component of health care. Um, there's work going on to provide universal health coverage to all and palliative care is a a core part of that. Um, So our priorities are trying to ensure that um, children's palliative care and palliative care generally is seen as a priority in global health Um, Looking at the issue of access to medications, um, a recent Lancet commission was published in October last year and uh, it showed the um, major need for access to analgesics such as more morphine and the the strong analgesics. Um, And getting access to those is difficult. Um, There are many regulations that you have to go through in order to ensure that morphine um, is available. So working on on that issue, Um, working on education, um, as we were saying before the break, Mm -hmm. um, there's a Big need for education at all levels um, for healthcare professionals, teachers, social workers, religious leaders. Um, religious leaders have a core part to play um, within the provision of palliative care. So, working on education and then supporting um, implementation, supporting individuals to develop services um, that are appropriate for their own setting.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, you, you've been working on this area for many years. I, I mean, you're encouraged. Are you sad that there's so much to do?
0: Um, I'm encouraged um, because over the past uh, 20 years, I've been able to see uh, big changes. Mm. Um, There is still a long way to go, but um, it's encouraging and um we we often um, visit some of our students who we taught many years ago and they're doing uh, they're implementing palliative care and that's exciting because yeah. you can see the impact of, of what's being done um, so I am encouraged uh, with what can be achieved um, in low resource settings and what can be achieved when you have people who have that passion for mm-hmm. palliative care um, so I'm encouraged but at the same time, there's still a long way to go, and it would be great if there was more uh, more recognition of palliative care in the global mm. health.
1: You're back in the UK now, obviously, as we're having this conversation. Most of your time is in Uganda. How does it kind of work or well, not?
0: I work all over the world, really. Um, So I have some time in Uganda um, teaching um, and doing work with the university. But with my role in the International Children's Palliative Care Network, Mm. I travel all over the world. So I've just got back from a couple of weeks in South Africa, Mm -hmm. um, where we had a big international conference looking at children's palliative care. Before that, I was um, in China uh, speaking at an event for the uh, Ministry of Health there. Um, So my work takes me all over the world, so I'm I'm very privileged um, in that. um, And it enables me to support people in different parts of the world.
1: And so the funding would come from the university or from other...
0: Fu- funding for palliative care is a big challenge okay. um, globally I think mm. um, so the funding uh, we have some funding um, at Macquarie University through um, DFID for the UK um, DFID but for the International Children's Palliative Care Network we try and get funding from different sources so Two Colours Trust here in um, the UK, Open Society Institute and various other funders who support us, we have some churches who support us um, mm. so it's varied and uh that's one of our challenges is getting funding not just for our work to help people develop children's palliative care but for then mm. them to be able to provide such services
1: yeah you you mentioned uh the refugee situation of course we've you know we we're just a few years since you know the the largest migration of people you know since the last the Second World War. Yeah, and the, the, presumably the, the the levels of potential palliative care needs amongst those folk are, are just staggering.
0: Yes, and it's kind of hard to know mm. what those needs are. So, and um, we've just been doing a needs assessment um, with the uh, Rohingya in. Um, Bangladesh, um, we've been looking at the uh, South Sudanese refugees in Uganda, mm. trying to get an understanding of, of the needs there. Um, other people have been uh, working with different refugee um, or groups and um, with people in, in Gaza, trying to understand what the need is, and how we can best then provide palliative care in, in those difficult situations. Um, one of the challenges with refugees is that they're often moving. So um, mm-hmm. how do you provide care for them when and then, you know, 10 days time, they might mm-hmm. have moved on somewhere else. Uh,
1: and once you make people aware of the need, is it are they typically on board? Or do you have to fight for... the the requirements it
0: it varies sometimes you have to fight for the requirements but sometimes um you know, just by demonstrating good palliative care services, we can have an impact on people. And uh, we've been fortunate, uh, I say fortunate, that's probably not the best word, but um, to work with some key individuals um, in different countries who have had members of their family who have needed palliative okay. care. And by demonstrating the care that we can provide, I think that's that's the best way um, sure. of... Um, advocating for palliative care and we have various um, uh, stakeholders in the UK Lucy Watts who is um, has an organization palliative care voices and she's uh, a palliative care user and is speaking out for um, palliative care okay. so there's, there's different ways okay, that we work
1: fair enough. well my, my, my final question is you know as you look at your personal priorities as leader in this field you know what do you think the future may hold
0: for me as an individual mm. um, I don't know what the future will hold I very much believe that I need to be doing what God wants me to do mm. and uh, I felt God called me to Uganda in, in the first place and then to continue to to work then across sub-Saharan Africa and now globally through the International Children's Palliative Care Network um, so I'm always uh, asking God mm. w- what, what should I be doing um, where should I be um, at the moment I feel that I'm in the place that God wants me to be, Um, but that might change. And um, I I feel privileged to be working with uh, palliative care leaders across Mm. the world um, and to be able to not only um, support the development of palliative care, but I often get asked about my reasons for palliative care. And so whilst developing palliative care, I've also had the opportunity to share my faith as well, um, as appropriate. so I don't know. I'm praying that God will show me and guide me as to the future. And uh, I feel quite secure in the knowledge that he, he's he got a role for me and knows where,
1: well, uh, where he exa- wants me well, to go. Well, indeed. I mean, it's um, it's it's wonderful. I mean, just to say it's wonderful what you do. <laughs> I mean, a lot of folk are listening and thinking, I'm sure, whoa, that would be a tough place to go. Um, you know, number of ministers... On occasions, we'll need to be involved in this that stage of life, and it's it's a tough part.
0: It, it's a tough place to go, yeah. um, and we need to try and walk alongside people mm. um, and their families at a really difficult time in their lives. And as you kind of said earlier, um, it can be tough uh, for Christians uh, just as much as it can mm. be tough for, for anyone else. And so I believe we need to be showing God's compassion um, in Caring for individuals at that difficult time.
1: Well, Julia, thank you for sharing your story and for giving us some insights into into your world.
0: Thank you for inviting me.
1: Oh, my pleasure. You've been listening to the Leadership farm with me, Andy Peck. It was uh, Professor Julia Downing, uh, and uh, obviously we we'll be talking about palliative care. Um, do if you want to listen again, do go to Premier's website. You can listen on demand. You can sign up for the podcast. You can go to iTunes and download the. Uh, the show and archives of the show over 100 shows there you can uh, listen to it at your own uh, leisure uh, Do you can go to the Premier shop and uh, get a copy of my book The Leadership Road Less Travelled if you choose to do so uh, and also obviously particularly join us next uh, Sunday at 3.30 thanks for tuning in